I'm Dick Moberg, and for more than 40 years, I've been developing technology to advance our understanding of the injured brain. I've had a chance to work with some of the leading minds in the field of neuromonitoring, including physicians, researchers, and entrepreneurs. I want to share their stories with you in the form of a weekly podcast so you can stay current on the latest developments in the field and the innovative people behind them. This is my neural network. So my guest today is Thomas Helt, and he's the Associate Professor of Electrical and Biomedical Engineering at MIT. And Thomas has a, a long background in ICP analysis and uh, in particularly in, in uh, trying to uh, measure ICP non-invasively. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Dick. Thank you very much okay, for inviting good. me. So um, non-invasive ICP, is, uh, the, the, it's been a holy grail for a, a number of years. I remember back in the 80s, uh, I think I applied for a, uh, I think NASA was requesting proposals for this, and it just hasn't, um, uh, I don't think anyone's sort of reached that, the, the, the goal of this. But you guys are making a lot of progress, and maybe you can um, just tell us a little bit about your take on the history of, of uh, non-invasive ICP. Yeah, I mean, it certainly has a long history, and it goes probably back 30, 40 years, as you pointed out. And a lot of people have looked at this problem from a variety of different um, perspectives. Um, there's, um, you know, a whole range of, of prior work where um, you're trying to uh, deduce uh, changes in ICP from uh, variables, physiological variables that uh, can easily be measured, whether it's um, ultrasound uh, time of flight measurements across the skull, whether it's um, evoked potentials, uh, electrocortical potentials, whether it is um, sort of minute fluctuations in in volume uh, in the inner ear, in the outer ear, actually. Um, then, and then there is a whole host of, of uh, technologies and, and approaches that were used um, that use physiological uh, waveform measurements uh, like arterial blood pressure, cerebral blood flow velocity, measured with transcranial Doppler ultrasound. So, um, magnetic resonance uh, imaging, either, even with you know, um, with very detailed uh, fluid dynamic models, the work of Norm Alperin comes to mind, of course, and you know, applying pressure on the eyeball and, and um, balancing uh, that pressure uh, or uh, measuring cerebral blood flow velocity in, in the ophthalmic artery. That's the work of Aminas Rogowskas and others. I mean, Bern Schmidt, uh, Bernhard Schmidt used uh, the um, uh, arterial blood pressure waveform, cerebral blood flow velocity waveform in a, um, uh, in a system dynamic approach and identification approach to estimate ICP. So, they, yeah, there's a long history and uh, there's a few review papers for those of your you know, listeners who are interested in that, um, that one can find um, that review the, uh, the, the longer term history of, of this field. Um, yeah, we have uh, added to that literature a little bit over the past 10 years. And, um, yeah, we use a model-based approach, meaning that we are using a physiological, a mathematical representation of the underlying biophysical properties of a major vascular territory in the brain and how arterial blood pressure and cerebral blood flow velocity as a surrogate for volumetric cerebral blood flow interact with the um, um, in, uh, intracranial pressure, the cerebrovascular properties of that vascular uh, territory. Um, and we formalize that um, in a mathematical model 
that represents these uh, these relationships. And then we try to solve that model uh, with the input data that we have, namely arterial blood pressure and cerebral blood flow velocity for intracranial pressure, the cerebrovascular resistance, and the cerebrovascular compliance. Yeah, thanks. You know, I thought in your, uh, so we're at the ICP 2019 meeting where we're doing this interview, and I heard a talk from you uh, a couple of days ago where uh, you we were giving a little more of a, um, a visual representation of what you're doing where you said you're standing in the artery and looking down there. Yeah. Maybe you could describe what you're doing in a non-mathematical way sure. and just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the artery looking at it. I thought that was very good. Yeah. So, so, yeah, imagine yourself standing, you know, within a major vascular uh, segment. So let's say the MCA M1 segment and you're looking down um, uh, you know, into the vascular tree, and and as you're looking down in this, you know, um, complicated branching uh, topology of of the vasculature, you see, you know, um, uh, elastic properties that vary with with distance along that that uh, that tree. You uh, have um, compliance uh, that changes. Uh, arteries uh, tend to get a little stiffer as you go away from the large um, arterial segments. And so, and and the outside pressure is uh, assumed to be intracranial pressure or some tissue pressure that surrounds the um, these uh, this vasculature. And if you look into that down into that that vascular tree, and you were to model this, it's a very complicated geometry. It's a very complicated um, uh, mix of biophysical properties. Um, but it turns out that um, you can you, you could you know. You could write out very complex models to represent that geometry and that physiology, but it turns out that you can um, collapse all of this into a fairly simple model that just um, represents uh, the lumped elastic properties, which will mostly be the elastic properties of the large uh, arterial segments, so the beginning portions of the MCA territory, and then the um, uh, which is in, in the surrounding brain tissue. Um, and the cerebrovascular resistance is sort of the lumped resistance that you would see um, um, or that the fluid would actually experience flowing downstream into the smaller and smaller vessels and finally the terminal resistances. And you can, you know, sum across all of these uh, resistances um, in parallel and um, come up with a lumped resistance that uh, just represents that a vascular territory, the, the peripheral resistance of that vascular territory. And the downstream pressure there, again, is intracranial pressure, which is um, um, so that sort of perfusion pressure, as we know it, is the arterial pressure minus the intracranial pressure. So, you know, within some approximations, you can turn that very um, uh, detailed structure and, and complex uh, biophysical properties, uh, the structure with complex biophysical properties, into something which is tractable in a mathematical sense, in terms of the estimation of a single resistance, of a single compliance, and the outside pressure, which is intracranial pressure. Seems like a very elegant method. And I guess the, um, uh, the follow-on question is, um, where, where do you see this going? So in the future, um, I know you're doing some, some very interesting work, and some other groups are. When do you think we'll have a, um, a good measure of uh, non-invasive ICP that can be used clinically? Yeah, I think that was one of the questions that was, you know, posed to me, if you know, by the conference audience, and and maybe I, I you know, in hindsight, I gave it a somewhat overly optimistic <laughs> <laughs> assessment. <laughs> but l l let me actually sidestep the question a little bit. Let me let me let me tell you what I think is necessary in order to get there, right? And and then we'll figure out what the time frame might be 
First, um, in, if, if you think of our particular method as sort of one um, candidate version, uh, we use the arterial blood pressure measurement, and in the neuro ICU you have that available mostly through uh, you know uh, radial artery can uh, cannulation. Um, so we have a very good and high fidelity measurement. We also use the cerebral blood flow velocity, which is measured with transcranial Doppler ultrasound, and for that you um, tend to need a, a skilled operator or someone who has some experience with you know hitting the right vessel and getting a good signal. So there's one. Um, uh, piece to this uh, to your question, which relates to the um, development of the appropriate hardware. Ideally, we would like to have a fully autonomous, completely operator-independent way to get the cerebral blood flow velocity. And here at the conference and the, at the vendor fair, we've seen you know some robotic actuation that you know um, goes towards that. But some of these devices uh, still look somewhat clunky and and um, uh, still require a little bit of uh, supervision. So one one piece is we would like to have fully autonomous, operator independent, easy to use, uh, set it and forget it kind of way to get the cerebral blood flow velocity, and that you switch it on, you can switch it off remotely. That needs to be that needs to happen. Um, I don't think that that's technologically too far in the future. It's just that the uh, TCD market for the um, for the big or the ultrasound manufacturers has always been a niche market. But we hope that that changes because the neuromonitoring needs are not just in the ICU. They're everywhere, whether it's the pediatrician's office, whether it's the ophthalmologist's office, whether it's the emergency department, whether it's the ambulance. So, so I think making that point clear to some of the big manufacturers um, is important. But technologically, I think we can get there fairly expeditiously. Um, a little bit more tricky is the need for the arterial blood pressure waveform because um, you do want to have that also non-invasively. And then there are some products out on the market that gives you the waveform, the arterial blood pressure waveform, completely non-invasively. We haven't had great success in using such products in our ICP estimation because the variance in that signal is actually quite large. So another hardware development uh, piece that needs to come together is to get a fully uh, non-invasive, high-fidelity, robust arterial blood pressure waveform measurement. And you know, we, you know, colleagues of ours and, and, and we are working you know, towards that goal um, on a separate project. And then it requires clinical validation. And and um, we need to you know generate a box that we can give to people and then you know put it put it through the ringer. And uh, what I've presented here at the conference is validation that we've done in the Boston area with colleagues at Boston Children's Hospital, Robert Tasker, um, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Ajit Thomas, and um, at Boston Medical Center with with Jim Halsapel. Um, these are neuro, neuro, uh, neurosurgery and neurocritical care colleagues. Um, and we presented about 30 patients, age range about 2 to 85, with a variety of conditions, traumatic brain injury, subarachnoid hemorrhage, metabolic disorder, cerebrovascular malformation. So the results so far hold up, but, you know, 30 patients, of course, not enough. And eventually it will have to, you know, go to multicenter, you know, independent validation. And all of that, you know, takes time and, and you know, Patients um, need to be recruited, consented, and studied. So you've asked me about a timeline. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I guess my, my best cop-out you know, on that question is that we will try to take, you know, we'll try to de-risk every step along the way and make sure that we understand the problem that we're up against. Because 
um, even the data collection, you know, for our validation study involved some very non-obvious um, problems that we had to overcome in order to get to the results that we currently have. But if, if you really want to know a number, you know, I hope that within the next 10 to 15 years we could be there. At least, at least that we actually have a solid understanding of what the next hurdles might be and where the opportunities are to further optimize the approach from an engineering perspective. Yeah, well, thanks. That's, um, I guess everybody would want it to be sooner than that, but yeah. you're, you're being very realistic, which is, <laughs> which is good. And I think the, uh, the result would be that, um, I mean, what, what I've always heard is that we're only monitoring ICP in maybe 20% of the patients that you want to, or I don't know what that percent is, but um, non-invasive measures would, um, would open that up to um, a much wider patient population, those that you don't want to drill a hole in the head. So I think it's a very significant uh, work that you're doing, and we uh, wish you well for the future. Thank you very much, Dick. Thank you. Um, and I mean, I, I fully agree with you. And, and one thing that excites me also about this is, of course, to help patients. But we, saw, we, we know so little about the biophysics of the cerebrospinal fluid space. I mean, to wit, I mean, we don't understand normal pressure hydrocephalus. I don't think we do. And if we had a non-invasive way to measure intracranial pressure, we get out of one of the very key variables um, that um, would shed light on a number of conditions, either to rule out changes in ICP or to, you know, fail to rule out. So there's also a basic science piece that is going to be very interesting once uh, someone develops a technology like that where we can learn a lot about conditions that are currently not on our radar screen. Thank you, and, and again, good luck. And uh, just one, one uh, closing anecdote. You are the owner of our very first uh, CNS monitor, serial number one. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do have that, actually. We do have that in, in our lab, and, yeah. and uh, I actually inherited it, if you can say it that way, from, from a great, great mentor and, and friend, Audrey Duplessis, yeah. when he left Boston Children's Hospital. Yeah. Um, we got it. it. It stands in my lab, and it, it literally on the plaque it says zero zero one. Yes. So, and I'm, and, and I'm a proud owner of that of, the, of that unit. So, uh, I hope that eventually it will be in the Smithsonian, my friends, yes. well, <laughs> okay. or, or at least in our museum, exactly. which is a little smaller. But, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for talking to us today, and uh, again, good luck with your work. And, thank you, Dick. It's always thanks. a pleasure. And great, and we'll uh, we'll provide links to those review articles that you mentioned uh, on the website of our podcast. So thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you enjoy these interviews, please take a moment to rate and review this show on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to Dick Moberg's Neural Network to receive notifications when future installments are available. And of course... The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Moberg Research, Inc. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again soon.